Hello and welcome to this, our latest Deep Awake Dialogue. My name is Richard Cox and I'm here with Tim Freak. And today we're going to be uh, starting what might be uh, a number of little talks on how Tim's philosophy has progressed and changed and where it stayed the same from his early books to now with um, the writing of Soul Story and addressing some of the questions that are coming up on Tim's forum, the Facebook forum. So for this first uh, video, um, we're going to discuss materialism and idealism, or physicalism and mentalism, this core philosophical idea that's run on throughout history. Um, how, Tim, you viewed that in your early writings, and how it's progressed on since then. So good afternoon, Tim. Hi. A nice light topic for today. Yeah, well, it's materialism, idealism, these are kind of strange words. So I think we're titling the video, Is Life a Dream? Which that yeah. brings it into more something people will be interested to know about or not. Is life a dream? Um, so let's, let's start off with that, Tim. If you would give us something of a definition of these terms, maybe with materialism is perhaps the, uh, the one that is easiest for people to relate to and yes. understand. Although really what's happened, I mean, I think, we need to expand it out anyway because materialism is a kind of 19th century idea in, in the, in the, that's when it really took off. I mean, it's always been there right back to the Greeks, but it's the idea that what's really real is this. Now, the problem for materialism is that in terms of physics, which is the investigation of this, this isn't there in the way we think it is. So, so that the, the uh, materialism itself, I think is, is really, a dead philosophy but it's replaced by a kind of physicalism as you said or objectivism is what i call it which is still saying look the object the thing is what's real and that's usually contrasted with uh, the fact that you're a conscious being mm -hmm. and that you're experiencing all of these things and that the idea there is that the, the conscious being has arisen from the physical object mm -hmm. and is kind of secondary to it and so what really is real is the physical object and this is secondary. And then, and then the other view is the polar opposite of that. Yeah. So that it's called, I mean, idealism is a really bad name for most people because that sounds like people who are, have high ideals. Yeah, In this context, yeah. it doesn't mean that. It's a view which you call it mentalism, which is a good name for it. Um, it it's a, it's a, a form of a philosophy which is found in most versions of spirituality, especially ancient spirituality. And that does the opposite. That goes, this is all existing in the subject, in, a, in, a con in consciousness. And that's why the metaphor of it's like a dream, like a dream exists in consciousness. All of these so-called objects are actually forms that are arising in consciousness. Okay, so just see if I, if I sum that up and see if I get it right there. Materialism, um, in that philosophy consciousness is almost like an accidental byproduct of the material that we can see came into existence 13 billion years ago what it was doing before that we don't know but as a byproduct of that it's given rise to consciousness which um some materialists see even as being kind of an illusion right it doesn't really exist it's just we we tricked ourselves into thinking that the universe has become conscious of itself all you really have is is atoms interacting and then idealism places the conscious mind at the center of things so like when we experience a dream um i can say with this glass of water it looks like it's outside of my mind but if if i knew i was dreaming right now i'd say 
actually it's, I know it's inside my mind. It's a mental projection. There are, there are really no atoms. There are no atoms in dreams. It's, it's all consciousness. Is that a, Yes, it's all forms, yeah. like in a dream. The atoms can be forms. Now, obviously, there's, there's different ways of understanding both of those. Some materialists would have a higher view of, of consciousness than you're giving it there, or objectivists. Mm. And, of course, there's problems with seeing it like a dream, because it's like, well, is it my dream, or is it your dream, or is it both of our dreams, or is there something greater than us which is dreaming this? So there's lots of different ways of perceiving it. Um, but those are the two oppositions. I, for me, the way that I frame it in the mystery experience is going, look, it's fundamentally a debate about whether we're putting the object as the ground of being. It's, mm. it's really an object and it gives rise to subjects or it's really subjective in nature and it's giving rise to objects as forms which we experience. Okay, just to ask you a biographical question, Tim. Um, I think in the spiritual traditions, you could say it's often seen that uh, the materialism is the illusion that the the human being comes into the soul, comes into the body, and the forms around us, the material world, is so compelling and its bright colours and loud sounds that we believe it's real and we believe as an existence outside of our minds. We get drawn into this illusion, and the spiritual process is to track back into consciousness and see that it's um, arising within mind. That these things aren't really external to us. So this is more of a dreamlike reality and do you um recall a process like that happening in yourself after your initial mystical experiences interest in this of, of I'm, I'm assuming that you might have in your young life been a materialist because that's the, the common view whether you thought about it or not was there a point where you started to actively investigate oh i you don't know, i don't think there ever was richard because it never made sense to me because it, it because my experience of life was always magical now i don't think i went straight to an idealist or mentalist philosophy i don't think i was sophisticated enough to do that so i didn't really question i wasn't able at that point to question or answer these things that came later when i was was older so at the time i would say there was just a sense that i was in a magical process and the idea of materialism especially that reductionism that goes with it which reduces this to just this. Anything which does that was, I, I, I can remember feeling that I dismissed science as a young person completely mm. because it was telling me about you know, how iron filings work, but it was telling me nothing about the meaning of life because it reduced everything to this very basic kind of cause and effect world. But the world I was in wasn't like that. It was a magical world. And so the, 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 uh, what I was looking for was something which could address that. And that's why I ended up studying spirituality and then understanding these other philosophies. So I think it was just like a, it, I, I didn't come from there to there. Right, okay. I kind of was in this magic world and then looking for a way to explain it. And materialism was, was a non-starter because it didn't remotely explain it. Okay, yeah, I was quite absorbed. I was very interested in physics when I was a teenager and very, like, right. really materialist and thought the material is the ground of being. And right. I suppose I kept going into that and into that and found it increasingly empty on a personal level. So, like, right. on the one hand, the physics and the nature of atoms was fascinating, and it was like a god to me, I suppose, like studying the ultimate reality. But my personal life took on, like, less and less meaning because, well, we're just a pile of these atoms. And however amazing they are, it doesn't make for a life just to be a pile of atoms. So yeah. that's what almost projected me right into the the spiritual end of like this when i saw the feasibility of the spiritual that it wasn't just um hocus pocus and nonsense that oh okay this is this is an escape from the cave fascinating yeah i, I think a lot of people go that route i think because the because the experiences i was having as a young person that was just kind of blown out of the water 
very young. Mm. In some ways, kind of too young, because I've had to come back to all of that and study that in later life to go, actually, that's really interesting, isn't it? And as you know, a lot of my time now is spent around science. But for a long time, I just, that was all just completely dismissed for me because it, it couldn't address the actual experience that I was having. Yeah. It was. And of course, you were um, very invested in the study of magic and manifestation. I did, I, did, I did try to be a materialist a bit when I got into studying Karl Marx at university. I was quite attracted ah. to that. But I was always a heretical studier of Karl Marx because you know, he'd, he'd said that well, he's an interesting person because he took an idealism which Hegel had developed and, and claimed to turn it on its head and create a dialectical materialism. Yeah. Um, and so for me as a paralogical thinker, a lot of my paralogical thinking comes from the dialectics of Hegel and then Marx. In, it's been very influenced by that, the bringing together of opposites. Um, but I kind of wanted to turn it back again and go, actually, I think Hegel might have got it right. And well, th- this is something I wasn't sure if we talk about or not, but as you, you've touched on it, there is this link between Marxism, communism and materialism. And yeah. I think a lot of people ponder, are there inevitable outcomes to embracing certain philosophical positions? Like, do, does materialism um, lead to uh, a negative view of the world? Does it lead to consumerism? That's a connection people often make. I think, does I think it lead to communism? Yeah. Does, does um, idealism lead to a certain political position um, or certain attitudes or mi- mindsets to life? Do you, do yeah, you think I, think, I think that can happen. And I, and I would say, you know, you've got something like, uh, with with Marx, who's got this beautiful sentiment of creating a world where everything, you know, from each according to their ability, each to each according to their need. I mean, that's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment, and the, and the aspirations behind early communism are are beautiful. But when it's rooted in what were just the philosophy of the day, really, I mean, the, the, the cutting edge of the time was materialism. That was the new thing. And it was very exciting. And it was science. And, and so by rooting in that, I think it created a world which was utilitarian in the most horrible way and, and didn't value consciousness, individuals, um, was able to row roughshod over different ideas and actually do the very opposite of what it sent it out to do. And mm. I suspect a lot of that, I'm obviously the conditions of the day were important and Marx would be the first to say that. But, but also I feel that you're right. I think it's the actual philosophy underpinning it, which makes you view it. Having said that, you know, an awful lot of the spiritual idealist uh, mentalist view is also very negative. It, it, it does this. I mean, the reason I've tried to go beyond both is because materialism reduces it all to the object, but a lot of spirituality reduces it all to the subject and again makes the experience yeah. something you're trapped in, a mistake, something that's wrong. It feels like what we need is an alternative. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I tend to um, see things more that way. That if you're going to be negative and have a Tao view of life, you can make any philosophy fit that, whether it's materialism or spiritualism or, or anything. Um, so I'm, I'm always a little, I, I can see how people take a, a materialist. You could certainly make a good argument. I mean, people have, I'm not saying it's true, but you could you know, make a good argument that, that one of the things which has held back countries like um, India from giving the, their inhabitants a much higher quality of life, uh, as, as we've been able to enjoy here, has been that they haven't made that, you know, hadn't until recently made that transition. They've been so much in a worldview where this is a mistake, where you've fallen into mm. something, mm. where it's about getting away from this and not being trapped here and having to go round and round in this endless cycle of suffering, uh, which is, is a very negative view of human life. And it comes, that, that one comes from a, a mentalist perspective. So, you know, there's, pro- there's well, it's a paralogical thing to say, I know, but there's both, isn't there? There's, yeah. 
there's negative and positives in both. So idealism then is where your work was about well, when you started and were writing the Jesus Mysteries books and all the books around that time, would you say that's accurate to say it falls into the mentalist idealism? Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe what I'll do is just go through the process. I mean, it's, it's very interesting to me to try and capture it. I've not done that mm. at all, apart from to myself in the shower, thinking it through. I haven't actually had a conversation, I don't think, with anyone. So it's a great opportunity with you to try and to really articulate what that journey's been. And... I'd say that when I started writing the lots and lots of books on different spiritual traditions, I was looking for a commonality. And what became obvious was, ah, this idealism or this, this spiritual perspective of it's all a dream uh, is, one, is one way of seeing what that commonality is. So that when I, when I reached to write the, the Jesus and the Ghost Goddess and the Jesus Mysteries and write about Gnosticism, I was beginning to see Christianity in a whole new light that, that had this perennial philosophy in it the perennial philosophy that this is a well the the view which i articulated there was already a kind of evolutionist view it was going look this is a what i what i think they're saying is this is god exploring himself or itself mm -hmm. this is a one big mind so that this is not this is not my dream or your dream is god's dream and of course that's a very clearly articulated in the indian philosophy with this is the dream of brahman but, but also you see it in all of these Gnostic mystical philosophies. So, it's, so there's one being dreaming the dream of life, and we are, we are that being dreaming itself to be Tim and Richard and lost in this illusion. That's a very common view of it. Uh, you can have more positive views, which I tried to articulate, a more positive gnosis in Jesus and the Lost Goddess, because some of the Gnostics have it, whereby it's a kind of process of discovery. So it's not just being lost, it's actually an evolutionary process of discovery. But fundamentally, that was the, the vision. And, and what I was looking for there was, oh, so the first thing was, oh my God, Christianity's about this too. Mm. That was huge. And so I had this overarching kind of background philosophy and I was looking for how can I, how can I get this across in an experiential way? Because for me, it's not just a philosophy in, in I believe this, it's, it's an experience. I experience this background being to my nature very powerfully, which I'm one with everything as well as being Tim. And I was looking for how can I articulate that for myself and for others? And that's when I wrote Lucid Living. And, and the laughing Jesus, which went, this is a, this, the, the, the analogy I can use is simply of lucid dreaming, mm -hmm. that waking up from being lost in something and not knowing that you're the dreamer to waking up and going, oh, you're the dreamer, but not Tim, Tim being dreamt. This idea, this, that there's a deeper level to my being, which uh, is universal. So I'm God dreaming himself to be Tim, meeting God dreaming himself to be Richard. And these are really beautiful and powerful and ancient ideas, which I feel I was astonished that I thought how cl clearly I could communicate them to people through the work I did with Lucid Living. And I want to say, but, but probably and is better. I also, that, that as I, as my, my own journey took me from waking up to this oneness back into life more and more and more into the separateness because it was no longer one or the other it's definitely was both and for me i was finding difficulty expressing what the human journey was about 
from that perspective. And that's where you see this current coming into my work in how long is now, for instance, of this is an evolutionary journey we're in. It was already there in Jesus and the Goddess 20 years ago. But it was like I was wanting to explore this, this idea that, that this wasn't negative. This wasn't a mistake, that this was a process in which this one being was exploring itself, mm-hmm. was coming to know itself. And in doing that, I was beginning to find that this, this calling this background consciousness is problematic. And partly it's words. In, you know, in a way, it's, it's, it's partly philosophical, it's partly linguistic. When I, when, I, when I wrote it about it, first of all, in She's and the Goddess, I went down the traditional route that others had gone down, and I, I called the background, the big mind, consciousness, with a capital C. Mm-hmm. So it's like consciousness, and people do that. And then I was stuck with this un- inelegant stuff in Jesus and the Goddess where I wanted to say, but, the, but where it arises from is unconscious. So it's unconscious consciousness. And that was a bit difficult. So in later books, I switch what I talked about in the background as awareness. So you can have awareness, which was unconscious or conscious, mm-hmm. all attempting to do this. And then increasingly, it felt to me like the word consciousness is not a good word because I want to say that, that the universe has become conscious. Mm-hmm. Because it seems to me that before the evolution, certainly of life, probably the evolution of advanced forms of life, the, the, what was there wasn't conscious in the wor- in the way that we use the word. Can I just? That was, that's um, when I needed to start looking in different directions. Can I hold you for a clarification there? Yeah. I think when you talk about consciousness coming from unconsciousness, um, I think you've written about this in a way that's everybody's experience in terms of the sleep state. Yeah. How consciousness and psyche emerge out of the unconscious. Let's see if I can say this right now. Um, so when I wake up in the morning, I come from this unconscious consciousness and then consciousness and the mind, the witness and the thing it's witnessing arise as a pair. Is that? Yeah. Yes. So, so if I jump forward now to where I am now, I'm just beginning to feel like, cause I think there's a whole lot of problems with actually, but the, 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 I think that just about works unconscious consciousness, this subject. But for me, it's starting to work better. If I say, look, there's unconscious being becomes conscious being. You know, there's, there's what I am, whatever that is, which is now unconscious and now it becomes conscious. And that is happening every day with me falling asleep and waking up. And then it's happening in the whole journey. And what that allows me to do, and the, the, the other word I use is spirit, which means being, just because it's a traditional world and it, it allows me to connect with Hegel and other things that philosophers have said. But being spirit is the word I used in soul story and in various other places and goes right in because I'm echoing the Gnostics really mm-hmm. going back to that. But, it, but really I'm becoming round to the idea that the, one of the better words might be being because ah, these words, you know, they've all got problems because they all mean different things to different people. But the, the fundamental idea which you can get then is that there is spirit or being, which is exploring itself. Mm-hmm. And that's quite a different idea now to the idea of consciousness doing it because then it becomes conscious in that process. Right. The big problem with, well, maybe I should just stop for a second and just do quickly, just do what happened in, in the mystery experience because that's significant is that there where I articulated this idea of paralogical thinking, th- seeing things from other perspectives is where I said, look, you can look at this same process of evolution 
objectively and you see an object evolving or subjectively and you see it all arising within mind. And the idea I was playing with there is you can see it in both ways. And I still think that's true. I haven't, you know, that's, that's right. In fact, generally what I'm doing is I'm trying to articulate the same thing that I've been seeing clearer and clearer in better and better language. I don't think there's been any great shift away from anything. Right, so you, you don't consider your work in Soul Story to be a break with the Gnostics as you were presenting them in... It's an evolution from. So there's, mm -hmm. there is profound differences. Big difference from many of the Gnostics. I, do not, I see this as an evolutionary process, which is positive. Big difference for sure. I now know, you know, along with knowing the world isn't flat, I also know that there's been 13.8 billion years of evolution leading to this one way or another. And so I'm taking that on board. And I know that human beings weren't just created, I know they've evolved. And so we see, we can see the universe becoming conscious. Now, the question then is what's the ground of that? Hmm. And the, 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 the traditional scientific view is, oh, well, the Big Bang happens, there's just matter and energy, objects, and then they become subjects, whatever, how, somehow as a byproduct. The traditional spiritual view is, but the ground of being really is God or a big mind. Now, get rid of the creator God. I think we can dismiss that from this conversation. Uh, but we could keep Brahman. And that's mm -hmm. what I tried to do and, and tried to gesture towards in... Uh, soul story uh, sorry in the mystery experience but there are problems with that because what you've done is you've kind of stuck you've stuck this super being in at the beginning and if it's already there why is it discovering itself and 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 you're stuck with all of the problems i articulate in the book about any great being you know this being is really god is compassionate is good why all the suffering, why the, the horrors of life, why the dinosaurs, all of those questions. So what I've done is I've gone, look, I've, I did this actually in the mystery experience. So the, the soul story is an evolution from that. It's going, instead of looking at it as either objective or subjective, idealism or materialism, let's follow David Bohm, the great physicist, and see that there's something before both, which is neither objective nor, nor subjective. That's the real non-dual. The mm -hmm. real non-dual isn't consciousness, like most non-dual teachers say. That's still dual, because there's consciousness and what it's conscious of. Yeah. But to go to something which is before both, call it spirit, call it being, if you want a description of it, which is more important than a name, then the best description, I think, is potentiality. That it's the potentiality for the universe. It's the potentiality from which everything is coming, including this moment right now. But there's a potentiality of being which is realizing itself. This, you wrote about this in um, Jesus and the Goddess, did you not? With the, um, the, the concept of the Trinity of consciousness and psyche arising out of something deeper than both of them. Exactly. So this right. is consistent. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So what that, that miss, what I called mystery there would be that's that, that, that version that, that the Gnostics had with mystery and then consciousness or pneuma, spirit, and psyche uh, or soul, so God, spirit, and soul, as it were, that, that trinity for me is now expanded out because here we are in the 21st century with modern science, and it's gone, there is a ground of being, let's call it spirit again, or we can call it being, whatever you like, but it's potentiality, it's mystery, it's nothing, and yet it's the potentiality for everything. So it's... It's not nothing in the negative sense. It's because it's it's the it's the pleroma. 
in a way, of the ancient Gnostics. It's, the, it's full with the potentiality for everything. And it's realizing itself. And as it does that, all of these dualities appear. And right from the very start is the duality of subject and object. Not one or the other, but both, mm -hmm. right from the start. And the way that I've articulated that is going, look, right from the beginning, you have a time stream, you have a flow of time, because it's very important for me that I've put this whole thing in motion which is information objectively so you've got primitive atoms for example but each primitive atom is also reading its environment the mere fact that it's relatively individual or distinct means it has a relationship with the whole and that relationship the whole is it's discriminating what's going on around it the charges of other atoms its relationship with other eventually other chemicals and it just all of that stuff that it's reading in very primitive ways, but it is, it's interacting, it's discriminating. That's the sub, that's proto-subjectivity. So you've got proto-objectivity, atoms which actually don't exist in the way we think they do, they're not things, but they become things when gathered together enough, or they become things for us when we experience them like that. So you've got this dual evolution at the same time of object, ever more complex objectivity, which is information, and ever more complex subjectivity, which starts as proto-conscious electrochemical discrimination, that will evolve into uh, primitive sensual discrimination, and then into the full senses we've got, and then finally into conceptual discrimination in, when we reach soul. And, and the information is, is evolving alongside it. So we've done away with this, is it an object or is it a subject? Is it idealism or is it materialism? And we have a paralogical philosophy which goes, no, it's something before both, giving rise to all of these dualities which always exist together. So there is no objective world which is not being observed because it's always being observed by itself. And there is no observer without the objective world mm -hmm. because that's what gives rise to the subject is that there's an object and that they're both arising and evolving together as the potentiality, what I call spirit or being or is unfolding and realizing itself and this is i'm just trying to get my head around do you see this as distinct from a statement like saying yes life is then a dream okay that's great good to come back with that because that's the key that's the key thing that i need to be able to convey to people is that people who've got who've, who've been with me on a journey and have gone oh, i get it it's like a dream am i still saying that or am i not mm -hmm. I am still saying that, but in a different way, or rather I have, this is a bigger picture, which includes that. So for me at this level, I'm here now as a human being, and I'm experiencing the ground of being, the potentiality spirit. I can reflect back and I can see that that, that, that spirit is the, just as spirit or, or being is manifesting as everything, Let's, let's just bring in Plato, because although I've refashioned him considerably, there's a nice little thing which he plays with being and becoming. And I'm doing the same. I'm saying that there's being which is in a process of evolutionary becoming through emergence. And that goes back to the goddess as well. We use those terms there. So I have become a human being who's conscious and I can be conscious of my being. And when that happens, I'm conscious of this formless timeless presence which is witnessing this so i'm i'm conscious that the, the witness of everything 
on the deepest level is being is this deep spirit that's spiritual awakening and you go oh my god i'm one with all being because there's one being witnessing everything but the one being is witnessing this particular flow of tim like it's also witnessing that particular flow of richard which so we're back at exactly the same perennial philosophy but in a different way where it's going well and then for me it's not then like uh, there is one dream of life it's more like everything is dreaming because everything every subjective experience is the objective information being interpreted in a certain way so i live in this world where you know there's my coffee cup and it feels like a thing but i know from from physics that actually there is no three dimensional solid object there so my experience is not the world that's my experience of what's really out there what's really out there is information which i'm experiencing as this because this is the level of emergence that i've arrived at and that's why all of this that i'm experiencing is arising within my awareness like a dream is okay but you you said information is out there okay yes. so is information out there when you dream at night and experience the coffee cup no and that's key and that's why you know, right from the start i've always said this is like a dream there is a difference and it's important to know i mean can i can, i've been with other teachers who've gone it's a dream and i've gone and i can't tell the difference between this and a dream and my always feeling is well you should be able to because there's a difference and we don't want to lose that difference. okay but could it not be a different kind of like i i, I get this you can tell the difference and when we spoke to charlie morley he said so, that the, the lucid dreaming teacher he said it's very important in yeah. learning lucid dreaming that you can tell the difference exactly but, so what, there, there so are different the types of dreams though right i mean it, you could here, here's the difference between or i'm talking about the common or common well i want to push it both ways i want to say look actually you can go into a deep dream state where you still meet objective information mm -hmm. and i want to say here what marks this out from the narrower subjective well what marks this out from my imagining now is that i've imagined the cup it has no reality distinct from my, imag my imagination, mm -hmm. but this cup, even though my perception of it is existing through my own way of perceiving it, it exists independently. And if you were here, I could give it to you and you could have the cup. So there is information out there. It, it's, never, it's not that there's an objective world independent because it's always experiencing itself. So it's not like a dream in that way in which we think of it, but I've never thought that because it's always been God's dream. It's never been Tim's dream. Sure. So I'm not, I don't think, like I, it's not my curiosity to ask you, and I don't think it's other people's of, is this Tim's dream, uh, a yeah. solipsistic view. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just to challenge you on that, couldn't we have that experience in a dream? So if, if you dream of this conversation tonight, um, you can have a cup in your hand and you can also dream that you're imagining a cup. Yeah. Um, so on one level, you've got the imaginary cup, the real cup, and you can pass the real cup to me, but not the imaginary cup. But on another level, on the level of the dreamer, both of those cups are imaginary. They're all arising. So is that distinct from? I can't, it, it, it depends what you're asking me. If you're asking me, can I know this is not a dream? Yeah. Then okay. I think the answer is probably not. Because all I ever have is my experience. And people who are idealists usually fall back on that. The argument with, and I've, you know, I've, I've my method is to look at the moment fundamentally 
And when you look at the moment, you see what? Well, really, if you pay attention, what you see is, is appearances arising within consciousness. That's what you see. So the next step for a lot of um, spiritual people is that's what's real. Appearances arising in consciousness. Take a look. It's indisputable. No consciousness, no appearances. That's the way it's arising. For me, I want to go further than that because that's just the first step. The next step goes, and what are these appearances? Do they exist independently from me or not? And my answer is yes and no. They, they, the way I'm perceiving them does not exist independently from me, but they also exist independently from me and can be perceived by you, by a snail, by a bat in very different ways. And they're not just, they're not completely dependent on my particular consciousness. The other big thing I want to be able to say is that you, is, is, this is to avoid solipsism, is that what's so interesting is that I see the moment, every, all of these forms arising in consciousness, but you're here. And I do not see you as just a form arising within my consciousness. I mm. see you as an independent conscious being. And once I do that, then the whole thing explodes. And I'm into a, a completely different way of seeing what reality is, way beyond it's just appearances. Something, there's something much more interesting and paralogical going on than that. And that's why naive idealism, which you see a lot in the non-dual world, really doesn't work for me because it's not going far enough. It's just step one, that's all, the first observation. So by the naive idealism, um, your earlier work, do you feel that was outside of naive idealism in that the coffee cup exists um, independently of your perception, but it could exist for both of us either because it has an independent material existence or because it has an existence in the one mind in both which it, Richard and Tim and the coffee that's, cup were arising. That's the way that I went with it. I went with yeah. it, and I think to avoid that, I just went, look, it's not my dream, it's not your dream, that's solipsism. Solipsism, for those that don't know the term, I realise we've been using it, mm, that's the idea that all exists, all that exists is what I perceive. Because that's actually what I experience. So that's all I know. Mm. That's all that exists. And it's if you're all Tim's dream, or it's all Richard's It's all, all, it's all Tim, it's all mm. me, that's it. Nothing else is real. And As you do experience way, in a dream, like dreams seem to us to be like solipsism. So we genuinely yeah. do. And we, so we have dreams sometimes uh, where we feel there was something more going on than our direct consciousness, but mostly we interpret it as our own mind that's being projected around us. Certainly when we wake up, yes. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah. So there's that, there's that. That's the kind of naive view that I'm, I wanted to avoid. My way, as you say, was to say, look, take the dream of Brahman. This is not Tim's dream. It's not your dream. This is God's dream. And God is dreaming himself to be Tim and experiencing this. And in a way, I'm still saying exactly that. I'm saying that there is a primal being which is realizing itself. You can say dreaming if you like, but realizing itself as everything. The reason that I don't just use, I didn't use the word dreaming. I thought about it, but I avoided mm -hmm. it in Soul Story. I mentioned it a bit is because that works fine for us but not so well for snails and not so well for atoms um and so what i want to say is every particular time stream the being god is subjectively experiencing itself through everything so it's dreaming itself to be an atom and experiencing reality through being an atom it's dreaming itself to be a snail and or realizing itself as a snail and, and, and so forth. Now, the dreaming analogy works fine if you stick consciousness at the beginning. But if you want to avoid that for the reasons we've been discussing, suddenly the analogy is not so good 
to understand the whole 13.8 billion years of evolution. It's brilliant to help people awaken. I still use it as an, you know, it's just fantastic for us at our level to get that for me, you know, for an atom, an atom is not reflecting on anything. It's not conscious, you know, or it's not, it doesn't know that, that, that it's really the, the oneness of all being. It's just being an atom or a snail or whatever. So you, it doesn't know this, this depth. We can know this depth. And when we do, then it's like, oh, I see the thing which is my depth within which all these appearances are arising is the oneness of being. And that's when the analogy works. So I've been trying to steer away from that because I feel that we need to go beyond these ancient teachings now. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing, it seems to me, is that the future of spirituality lies in an evolutionary or emergent spirituality. That, that's the one that feels like it can unite itself with science, it can be intellectually robust, and it can really take forward the essence of what spirituality is. So somehow we need to do that. And Soul Story is just the beginning. But really, Mystery Experience was. And now Soul Story is okay. trying to go, right, let's get this. What's the language which can help us get this? Okay. Um, there's a lot there. Okay. So I feel like today we might, what we might do is leave it there for today. And unless there's anything you want to say further, but we can post this video up and put it on Facebook. And if people comment on, on in the Tim Freak forum, uh, I'll put a link to beneath the video or whatever platform you're, you're getting this on. And you can join the forum for these kind of discussions on these issues. And if people have any observations or comments or questions, if you post them in the comments there, uh, we can have a bit of a discussion there. And also, um, maybe we can, for whatever comes out of that, do another video reflecting on those points um, yeah. in the future. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. It might be a very great way of taking this conversation forward. It's been, it's been a real uh, interesting challenge to try and articulate the movement and why I think it's so essential. And I'm sure there's much further to go, but it's been a very enjoyable start. Yeah, yeah. And if people help me out and, and post some stuff, I might be able to come back with some more precise questions and see if we can nailed us down even further so thanks Perfect. very much tim it was a very enjoyable conversation Thank you. i loved it richard it was great great okay see you soon